0: Good morning, my living stones and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. Good morning, Daniel. In that song we just sang, it said the Lord Sabaoth. Now, that doesn't, Sabaoth is not Sabbath, it sounds like that, but does anybody know what that's Hebrew for? It's Lord of hosts, yeah, who's, yeah, right, yep, Lord of hosts, so when we sing Lord Sabaoth, it's It's throwing in a little Hebrew there for us, so it's the Lord of hosts. Well, please turn with me to Mark chapter 5 this morning. We're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to read 20 verses today. Some stories have a way of catching your attention and never being forgotten. And that's the kind of passage that we have this morning. You know, some stories might be a little shorter and maybe they're not quite as shocking. And upon another reading of scripture, you come upon them and maybe you forgot that they were there and you, you say, oh, I, I didn't even remember this story was here. Uh, not so with this passage. Uh, th- this passage is not one that you'll read again and, and have forgotten. So let's, let's read it together. We'll be in, again, we'll be in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city, uh, told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord of hosts, and you do scatter the darkness. You cause the darkness to flee before you. You are great and mighty, and there is nothing that stands before you. Pray that you would help us this morning to draw near to you, to trust you, to entrust our souls to you, to rest on you, knowing that we have only need to be silent, knowing that you fight for us. Help us this morning. Give us joy in yourself. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Last week, we saw that Jesus was Lord over nature. The disciples got into the boat and found themselves in the midst of the storm. We saw that Jesus could speak a word and silence a raging sea. This week, the main thing we're going to see from this text is that Jesus is even greater than demonic forces, and so we should draw near to him. Jesus is even greater than demonic forces, and we should draw near to him. First, we want to see that we want to see him as greater than any demonic power, and then after that, we want to look at two very different responses to Jesus. I want to see two uh, very different responses to Jesus here. Well, as I mentioned, after the disciples had their long uh, night at sea, uh, they they come to the shore of the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Last week, we saw that Jesus led his disciples into a dangerous storm, and then he led them back out again. He brought them out safely. In that episode, we saw the amazing power of Jesus over nature. He spoke, and the sea was subdued. And we saw that, as we see in the Old Testament, only God has the kind of power like that to bring a raging storm to its end. Now, Jesus and his disciples reached the de- their destination on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They had a long day of public ministry. Remember, Jesus was teaching throughout the day the parables. And then they had a long, perilous night, followed by probably a lot of rowing to get to their destination. Um, perhaps today is going to be a light-duty day for the disciples. Maybe it's going to be a little more uh, laid-back. Not, not very likely. They no more than set foot on dry land, and they are engaged in their next adventure. The scene here, where they're at, is on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it says here that they're in uh, Geresa. and there's been some historical question about that. is a little farther inland. Uh, your translation might also have a footnote that says, uh, maybe in uh, Gadara. Uh, it's also possible that this location is in Gergesa, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. So there's been some question about what exactly, what town exactly Mark is referring to here. Uh, but as we take this whole story together, uh, we, can, we can pull together the scene that the disciples find when they reach the shore of this town. They are within view of a graveyard. There's a big graveyard in front of them. They are close to a herd of 2,000 pigs. And I have to imagine with a good amount of pig mess around. Uh, and they are in the region of the Decapolis. Uh, now, the Decapolis, you see it referred to a few times in the gospel. Uh, literally, um, deca like a decagon is 10, and polis is the Greek word for city. It's the 10 cities. Uh, six of them, the majority of them actually are in modern-day Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. A couple of them are in Israel. One is Syria, in Syria, Damascus to the north. Uh, These are cities that had been under Roman occupation to the extent that they were even uh, Hellenized, or they were Greekified. They had taken on Greek culture and even some Greek religion. So you had people who were Jewish living here. You also had Gentiles living here. And you had these cultures mixing in a way that the Jews would never allow. Uh, This was not the way that the Jewish people were to respond to the Greek culture. Uh, So Jesus and his disciples, as they pull up on this scene, uh, they must have been confronted with the epitome of unclean. Graveyards and pigs and Gentiles. No Jew in his right mind would have wanted to go there. This wasn't a vacation spot for them. But Jesus knew that he needed to go there. He knew that he needed to be here. Jesus came here in spite of the wretched condition that he found. And the unclean nature of this whole event is only going to ratchet up. As soon as they set foot on dry land, they're confronted by a man who comes running up to them. And he doesn't come shouting, Welcome to the Decapolis! Right? He's not the welcome committee. Uh, He does come up to them shouting, however... Uh, he runs up and he falls down before Jesus and shouts, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? <laughs> now, there is so much in that question. First of all, it's confrontation. In the Greek, it literally is, what is it to me and to you? That's a very Jewish way of, of confronting somebody. This is a, a face-to-face confrontation. You know, this is a, you want to go, bro? This is this is uh confrontation. Uh, at its height, but more than that, it's identification. Notice what he says. He knows Jesus' name. Jesus didn't introduce himself. He knew who Jesus was. He says here that he is also the son of the most high God. This demon understood who Jesus was right away, and he comes to meet Jesus uh, as he steps out of the boat. Now, this demon-possessed man goes on to beg Jesus. We're going to find a lot of begging in this passage. He begs Jesus not to torture him. The very presence of Jesus must have been unspeakably painful for demons. The infinite beauty and purity and holiness of God has just set foot in a place of utter uncleanness, and his purity seems to burn like fire in the uncleanness around him. It's a powerful moment at the seaside here. You see that the confrontation goes on. Mark records that the demons beg Jesus not to torture them, uh, and the reason is because he has commanded them to leave their host. He says to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, Jesus asks the demon what his name is. He knew Jesus' name. Jesus asks him what his name is. The demon responds, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I can only conjecture what must have been going on in the disciples' minds at this point. You know, maybe they're confident that Jesus is going to triumph here. Mark really doesn't even mention the disciples in this whole scene. Uh, I have to imagine if Jesus hadn't been there, uh, I think they would have wanted to back away slowly, get in the boat, and row like they've never rowed before. Uh, By earthly accounts, this must have been terrifying. A legion was the largest military unit in the Roman army. A a Roman legion numbered 5,600 soldiers, 5,600 soldiers. And this man was filled with a lot of demons. I don't know if it was 5,600 exactly, but it was enough to boast of a name like legion. This poor man was afflicted, and Mark has already told us that much. Mark tells us that this guy lived in the tombs. He lived almost as if he was already dead. He would go from the tombs to the mountains and back and forth, and he would make this journey, cutting himself with stones and screaming out. These demons tormented this man mercilessly. Mark also tells us that people had tried to help him, but to no avail. I mean, people even tried to subdue him, but with no success. They put chains on him, but he tore them apart. They shackled him, and he busted them in pieces. There wasn't a thing they could do, even to constrain him. He must have been like Samson's demonic twin. And here... He is confronting Jesus. He is face-to-face with Jesus. But in this confrontation, there is no contest. The man falls down before Jesus. The word that's used here is usually used of worship. Uh, Probably here, it should be translated something like groveling as he falls down before Jesus. This whole host of demons, combined and unified in this one man, is an abject terror before Jesus. The demons who cannot be subdued by any chain or shackle are groveling at the feet of Jesus, begging him not to hurt them. The demons beg Jesus not to send them out of the country they're in, but rather to send them into the herd of pigs that's nearby. I guess the unclean spirits liked their filth. Jesus grants this request, and all of the demons leave this man. They enter the pigs, and the pigs go insane and run off a steep bank into the Sea of Galilee, and they're drowned. Mark tells us that there are 2,000 pigs here. 2,000 pigs! That is a lot of waterlogged hog. But this is not just a fanciful story for us here. This Uh, whole matter of the pigs, although it may be offensive to many, I think it tells us several important things the commentator James Edwards points out. First, uh, there must have been a lot of demons if they were able to harass 2,000 pigs. Must have been a lot of them. Uh, Beyond that, second, they are militant and torturous demons. Uh, When they enter these pigs, the pigs go completely insane. I mean, imagine what that must have been like for this man to be filled with these demons. Third, as valuable as animals are to God. And we remember, Jesus tells us that uh, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without our father's notice. God cares about animals, but as important as these animals are to God, uh, the human soul is so much more valuable. This man's life and freedom and salvation are far surpassing in value to God. As a result of this, this man is now freed from his legion of demons. Verse 15, notes that the people come and see him. He's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Just as Jesus has brought calm and peace to the raging sea of Galilee, he has brought calm and peace and sanity to this man. And we see a couple very important truths in this account related to Jesus. First, we see that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of the Most High God. Once again, we see Mark putting this central theme before us. Uh, His gospel opened up, saying that this is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Throughout this gospel, in two different places, God himself will declare it audibly from heaven, at the baptism of Jesus and at his transfiguration. And here, as well as other places that we've already seen, the demons are forced to admit that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark, both implicitly and explicitly, puts before us that reality, that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, even in the account that we saw last week, only God can still the sea. And we see there that Jesus stilled the sea. Jesus is the Son of God. And if we make this story all about the pigs and the townspeople and the man then we will miss the most important point. The most important point is that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of the Most High God. There is nothing that can stand against him. No demon has power to overcome Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to tread carefully in their presence. In fact, they shriek in his presence. And uh, we might trivialize this and, and make this into a light matter, but we shouldn't. Uh, and Acts chapter 19, we see the story of the sons of Sceva. They're the sons of the high priest in Israel, and they're seeking to cast out demons, but it goes horribly wrong for them. Uh, In Acts 19, rather than casting out the demon, uh, the people find and having people come and find the man clothed and in his right mind, the demon possessed man leaps on them and he beats them up, and they run away naked and wounded. I mean, that is a bad day. That, that's an exorcism gone wrong. Uh, not so with Jesus. Mark is putting Jesus before us as the one who has authority over every single unclean spirit. He has an authority over the sea, and now we see that he has authority even over demons. And as we, well, we're going to see this as well in the next account. We, in the coming weeks, as we continue in Mark's gospel, we're going to see that Jesus has authority over far more than that. So like I said, we will miss the main point if we make the main point of this about the pigs and whatnot in this story. Uh, we, we don't want to miss the greatness of Jesus as being put before us. But you know what? The rest of the parts of this story are important too. They're here for a reason and they're here to build us up. And the next thing we want to see is that Jesus has power to do good where no one else can. Jesus has power to effect good when nothing else and nobody can. Jesus has come to the most unclean place. Pigs and pig manure, Gentiles and tombs, and a man possessed with a legion of demons. And our holy Jesus brings cleansing to this man. No one else was able to do anything for him. Nobody could help him. Uh, They couldn't even keep him tied down. In Greek... Uh, in verse 3 there's a triple negative literally it reads and nor with chains no longer could no one bind him (laughs) and they're throwing their hands up they can't do anything for this guy they can't even keep him chained down and so he just wanders the tombs and the hills cutting himself and screaming out I mean what a dreadful story what what a dreadful condition to remain in I'm sure that people had one objective with this guy, and that was avoidance. Stay away from him. Keep your distance. This guy is nuts. But Jesus was able to bring deliverance to this man when nobody else could. Jesus could meet him at his point of trouble and save him from that. So many problems that our world faces will not find their fix apart from Jesus. It's all sorts of examples. Think about violence that's carried out one man on another. Uh, How much money and time has been spent trying to fix the the problems of violence? Uh, That that problem is not going to find peace through government assistance or through help programs. That's not going to find its ultimate uh, help. These are heart problems that have to be fixed. Now, our society denies the reality of sin... Uh, And then we try to fix sin problems with cash and programs, but it doesn't work. But there is hope for sinners, even the worst of us, when we turn to Jesus. He has the power to help when no one else can. The text says here that Jesus has had mercy on this man in verse 19. We'll see that in a bit. Uh, But notice that in verses 7 through 13, Jesus starts with confrontation. There is mercy, but it comes through confrontation. He's able to help where nobody else can, but so often he first confronts that which is twisted and broken and bent in us. We can ask ourselves this morning, is there anything in our lives that he would confront in us? Is there any area of our lives that would be displeasing in his sight? Let's turn from that and find healing in our Savior, who has power to help us. But before we're done here today, I want to look at two responses to this great act. We'll look first at the townspeople's reaction, uh, and then we'll see the reaction of this man who's been freed. Verse 14 picks up the story in saying that the herdsmen went back to the city and in the country to tell this incredible story. That They go out and they broadcast this story. Now, I have to imagine that not only are they sharing the news but they also have to give some sort of an account to what happened to the twelve or the two thousand pigs that they were taking care of. You know that that's a bad day on the job when you lose two thousand pigs. And this must have been a devastating financial loss. And they tell everybody about it, and a crowd of people come to see this for themselves. They've got to see this scene, and they find Jesus there, and they find this guy sitting, clothed and in his right mind. And the response they fear. They become afraid in response to this whole event. But it's not a a reverential kind of fear. Uh, It's an unbelieving fear. In fact, upon hearing the whole story, they start begging too. They beg Jesus to leave their region. They're not interested in this Jesus if this is the kind of change he's going to bring. Can you believe this? Can you believe the kind of response that he meets here? I think this kind of fear of Jesus is actually pretty common. The real Jesus of Scripture can really cause trouble to our lives. Uh, he makes a total claim on every single human being. And sinful people don't naturally like that. In our sin, we naturally want our sin. We are naturally more comfortable to sit in the uncleanness of our hog pens and the graveyards of our sin. Unregenerate man naturally likes Filth. John 3 verses 18 to 20 reads, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus, in his holiness, tends to make people uncomfortable. And when total purity comes into this land of uncleanness, they beg him to go. They want him out of there. I'm afraid that many in our own nation uh, would want to see the same thing happen. Our culture doesn't like the discomfort that Jesus brings, and many would rather see him go. Remarkably, Jesus turns around and he gets in the boat. Uh, Today is the day to come to Jesus. We are not guaranteed another. Uh, here Jesus goes and he gets in the boat to leave. Uh, we, we don't want to presume upon the Lord's grace. Today is the day to seek him. We don't know when the last day is. These townspeople got their wish, and it is a tragedy. Though, it's not without all hope, as we'll see in the next response here. Let's, let's lastly consider the freed man and his response to Jesus. It would seem that Jesus came... This whole distance, this whole trip, it would seem like he came for one guy. Uh, He turns out to be the first and only convert to Jesus on this journey. And his desire is to go with Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. In fact, he begs Jesus if he can go with him. Uh, There's been a whole lot of begging in this story, and this is the first time that the begging has been filled with faith and love. And maybe we can understand his response after being delivered from these torturous demons, he wants nothing more than to be with Jesus. You know, what does he have left behind in the Decapolis anyways? But Jesus tells him no. He does not let him join them. Why? You know, why is that? I have to imagine he'd be wondering. Well, as it turns out, the man does have something in the Decapolis. He has a reputation. Granted, a notorious reputation, Uh, But because of that, he has a testimony. Jesus tells him in verse 19, he says, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus will, in fact, leave as he's been begged to, uh, but he's going to leave behind a man who's been radically changed. Notice he tells him to tell his friends how much the Lord has done and how he's had mercy on him. And in verse 20, He tells everyone how much Jesus has done for him. That's no mistake and it's no typo. Jesus is the Lord who has done this great work and who has had mercy on this man. Jesus has had mercy on this man in his miserable condition and now this man has a testimony to share. I think in many ways, we think about the story, we find ourselves there. We might not have had a legion of demons that were cast out of us, but we have all been delivered from spiritual death and sin. We have been cleansed from our filth. We have been given new life. We have gone from darkness to light. And as much as we desire to be in Jesus' physical presence, we're stationed here. He's put us here at this time in this day for a purpose. We have been sent to go and share the amazing news of what God has done for us. And if you are a believer, then he has, in fact, done an amazing work in you. Every salvation is a miracle. Every regenerated heart is worth boasting in God about. And every saved man and woman has a testimony of God's mercy. We are here as long as the Lord has us here. One day we will see him face to face. We will be with him for all eternity. But in the meantime, we have his presence here with us. As we take this story as a whole, we see that Jesus does have power over every hostile power. He's greater than any demonic power, and because of that, we should draw near to him. Our response should be that of the man who was changed, not of those who didn't want the change that Jesus brings. Even if you know Jesus, he still has more change to bring in your life, as Buster was sharing uh, at the scripture reading. There's still more he's going to be bringing change to And it's not always going to be comfortable, but it always will be good when it's done. Sometimes his grace at work in us feels like a root canal, but it's never senseless. It's never without a point. I bet it wasn't a comfortable morning for this man, but it was worth it. He was never the same. Does that make you want to draw near to him? I hope it does. May he continue his work in us until he comes. If the men would prepare for communion and Erica would come to to play, we'll...